Thank you for choosing Miniaturist of Baptist Church podcast. We hope you benefit from this message. If you'd like to learn more about Miniaturist of Baptist Church, please visit our website at miniaturistofchurch.org. And we are going to be there probably through the end of July, but then we're going to be done. And everybody said... <laughs> mixed reaction, mixed reaction. I'm thinking, uh, looking ahead, uh, I, the Lord has been really placing on my heart uh, a, a need for us to talk about the Holy Spirit. And so I'm, I'm hoping, the Lord continuing to lead, that we will spend uh, a, a series, after we're done with the book of Mark, on probably the least talked about person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And well, I won't say the, maybe the most important, but important. So we'll talk about that, Lord willing. We are in the book of Mark, chapter 14, and uh, I have a bulletin here. I know my grandson loves to take notes. Right? Right? <laughs> if you'd like to take some notes, you certainly can. On the back of your bulletin there is an opportunity for you to do that. They say you learn more when you take notes, so hopefully you can take some notes. If you don't have a bulletin and want one, Wayne would love to run next door and get you one if you need one. Raise your hand. All right. Okay, Mary, Mary you went like this, and I just I, I saw it. All right, on the back of your bulletin, we're going to look at the sermon title called The Promise, and it's really the promise of the resurrection that we're going to talk about. All four Gospels describe Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane on the day of his crucifixion. It's very, very early morning, Friday. Jesus is crucified on Friday, 12, midnight, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the morning. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Satan wants to keep Jesus from the cross, so there is a great spiritual battle raging, not only for Jesus, but with the disciples as well. Our text gives us two very clear facts from the scene in the garden. And in preparation of the cross, Jesus goes to his usual place of prayer, the Garden of Gethsemane. He's gone there a lot. The Garden of Gethsemane is on the Mount of Olives. The name Gethsemane means olive press, the idea connoting the stomping of olives to squeeze out the oil. Gethsemane Olive Press. I think it's a profound name in light of the next few hours of the life of Jesus. And so let's look at our text today. It's uh, Mark chapter 14. We're going to look at verses 32 to 42. So if you're there, this is what it says. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus says to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him and he began to deeply and he began to be deeply distressed and trouble trouble then he said to them my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death he said to them stay here and keep watch going a little farther he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible the hour might pass from him abba father he said everything is possible for you Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? 
Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Once more he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is betrayed in the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. So that is the reading of God's word. And what I'd like for us to look at today are two very clear facts from the scene in the garden. And the first one is this. Jesus is experiencing excruciating pain. And you're saying, well, I thought that happened in the, on the cross. No, it also happens here. In his humanity, Jesus is experiencing excruciating pain. In his humanity, remember Jesus is 100% man and 100% God, which is really hard to understand, but that's the truth of the gospel. In his humanity, I'm not sure Jesus is prepared for the shock of reality which overcomes him in the garden. In verse 33, it says, Jesus began to be deeply distressed and troubled. You know, the Bible was written in Greek, and then to translate it into English, sometimes the words just don't quite convey the meaning. And so Jesus says here, uh, in verse 33, he took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. Now, you can read over those words pretty quickly, but... A more literal translation would be, he began to be terrified and disoriented. That says a lot more to me than deeply distressed and troubled. I mean, that says a lot, but terrified and disoriented is probably a more literal translation. One author that I read this past week says this, sheer terror strikes at his soul as he faces for the first time, and you might say the second time if you talk about his temptation in the wilderness, but this author says, for the first time, the reality of unbridled evil. He had theoretically accepted responsibility for, for bearing the sins of the world. Now terror tells him what it really means. He will die alone. His friends will deny him, and his father will have to leave him. End of quote. With that, he confesses to his disciples, he says, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Hebrews 5, and we're going to look at Hebrews 5 at the end of our message, but Hebrews 5 tells us that his time in the garden is so severe that it invoked loud crying and tears. Loud crying and tears. And Luke tells us, same story. Remember I said all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, have a description of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Luke tells us that Jesus sweat drops of blood. We've heard that before. Jesus sweat drops of blood. There's a clinical name for that. It's called hematidrosis, if I say that right, where under intense stress, the capillaries gorge, inflate, and explode, and blood comes out of 
our sweat glands. And so Luke tells us that Jesus, under that intense stress, that idea of being terrified and disoriented, uh, overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, that Jesus sweats drops of blood. Luke also tells us his time in the garden is so severe, and I, I had forgotten about this, his time in the garden is so severe that God sent an angel to strengthen him while he was in the garden. So you can take a look at that in the book of Luke. Why the agony? Why the agony in the garden? Well, he's seen crucifixions. I mean, Jesus knows what a crucifixion is. So there is for sure that understanding of what is about to happen. Probably not the extent because it seems like Jesus gets a much bitter more of a deal with his crucifixion than maybe the others on either side of him, although it's not really recorded. But why the agony in the garden? Well, I'm sure he's thinking about the cross. I mean, of course, that would be something that he knows about and is going to experience. The cross will be excruciating. Excruciating torture. And in men's Bible study yesterday, Neil reminded us that the word excruciating comes from the word crucifixion. So excruciating. Jesus knows that there is going to be excruciating pain and torture on the cross. And so I'm sure that's some of what's going on in the, uh, in the garden. But I think it's more than that. Jesus is also anticipating drinking the cup of divine wrath. And any time in the Bible, especially in the book of Revelation, it talks about the cup of divine wrath. It's God's wrath which will be poured out in full. And it will be poured... God's wrath... I, I don't know that we completely understand this. God's wrath will be completely poured out on Jesus as he dies for the sins of the world on the cross. I told you a couple... Well, maybe it was even last week. Romans... Chapter 5, verse 8 is my favorite verse, and I'd like to read that again because it applies. Romans chapter 5, verse 6, 7, and 8. It says this, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, God died for the ungodly. Very rarely, and I think this is something to think about when Jesus goes to the cross, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But you think about it, Jesus died for all mankind. Jesus died for the wicked, people that you can think of that are awful, Charles Manson, Jeffrey Dahmer, some of those kinds of people. Jesus died for them too. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man. Though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But then verse 8 is my favorite. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. God demonstrates his love for us because we are sinners separated from God. God demonstrates his love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Satan, in all his evil, is doing everything in his power to keep Jesus from the cross. That's why there's this tension in the garden. Jesus is there, the devil is there, the disciples are there, and there is this tremendous tension, so much so that Jesus is terrified and disoriented, that he is uh, to the point of death, his soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. 
Satan is doing everything he can to keep Jesus from the cross. Satan is hoping Jesus will say, Lord, if you, if you can take this cup from me, and God's saying, fine, you do what you want. But Jesus says, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do your will. Satan is saying, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. But of course, Jesus knows if he doesn't, heaven will be empty, hell will be full, the Bible will be untrue, no salvation, God is a liar, and Satan is a winner. I mean, that's, that's, that's the importance of the cross. That's the importance of the cross. If the cross doesn't happen, heaven will be empty, hell will be full, the Bible will be untrue, there will be no salvation, and God is a liar and Satan is a winner. But, hey, we know the, we know the rest of the story, don't we? Satan doesn't win, and Jesus concludes that spot there in verse 36, Abba, Father, Dad, on Father's Day, Daddy, that union there that he has with his heavenly Father. Everything is possible for you, and, and everything is possible for God. Take this cup, cup from me, he says, this cup of wrath, yet not what I will, but what you will. Not what I will, but what you will. One other author says this, Piece by piece, every layer of Jesus' self-reliance is peeled off until nothing remains except an unshakable desire to do the will of God at any cost. I'm going to read that again because I think it's important. It's important for us too. Piece by piece, every layer of Jesus' self-reliance is peeled off until nothing remains except an unshakable desire to do the will of God at any cost. And with that prayer on his lips... In the next verse, it says that he returns to his disciples and found them sleeping, which brings us to the second point. First point is Jesus is experiencing excruciating pain, but the second point could be this, Jesus is exuding extraordinary, what do you think? Love. You're right. Jesus is exuding extraordinary love. It blows my mind that in his intense battle in the garden, Jesus is concerned about his friends. So he says in verse 37, then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. And he calls Simon, Simon. His name, Jesus changed to Peter. But whenever Simon is doing something uh, in his old uh, way of things, he's, uh, Jesus calls him Simon. So he says, Simon, Simon, are you still sleeping? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray this so you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. It blows my mind that in his intense battle in the garden, Jesus is still concerned about his friends. And you know what? I always thought that Jesus came back and was upset with them because when he found them sleeping, they were not praying for him. You know, I always thought that in the garden, the disciples were sleeping and Jesus was upset with them because they were not praying for him. But that's really not necessarily the case. Maybe they could have said some prayers for their friend Jesus, but they didn't. They fell asleep. Jesus is upset because they are not using the time 
to pray for themselves. That's what Jesus is really upset about because he says in this passage, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. The devil is not only after Jesus, but he's also after the 11 that are there. Remember, he's got Judas, but he wants the other ones too. So Jesus warns them in verse 38, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Well, they didn't watch and they didn't pray. And their eyes were heavy, you know, it's late at night, and they fell asleep. Probably easy to do. I remember we had a prayer time in a pastor's office when I was the first uh, out of seminary. Uh, I served at a church, and, and the pastor had a prayer time in his office. And he had all of us uh, kneel uh, behind a chair. There was about five or six of us in there. And we were kneeling, and uh, I glanced over, and one was not, no longer kneeling but was laying and I thought maybe he was laying because he was laying prostrate before the Lord. I thought he was more holy than us because he was laying. We were kneeling. He was laying. But then I heard uh, so he was no longer praying, but he was sleeping. And, you know, it's easy to do. It's easy to do. And so, you know, on one hand, you can't really be upset with the disciples, but nonetheless... Jesus comes back and calls him Simon. The others are there as well. But could you not keep watch for one hour? One hour! Well, they were tired. And Jesus says, watch and pray that so you will not fall into temptation. And if you remember, Jesus also prayed earlier in the evening. Remember we talked about it a few weeks ago that, that the devil has asked to sift you, Peter. Jesus says to Peter, the devil has asked to sift you to draw you into temptation. And Jesus says, but I prayed for you. That's found in Luke chapter 22, 31 to 32. Jesus says, but I prayed for you. They should have been praying had they known how spiritually dangerous these moments were. But they are weak. And they are weak, especially without prayer. You know, if you're feeling weak in your spiritual life, it might be because you've neglected prayer. But they are weak and without prayer, and they all flee, we're going to look at that next week, and they disown Jesus. Like all of us at times, our spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Even the Apostle Paul says that. Hey, the things I really want to do, my spirit is willing to do, but my flesh says, no, do the other thing. And the things I really don't want to do... My spirit really doesn't want to do those things, but my flesh is weak and I do those things. So he's got the struggle too. If the Apostle Paul has the struggle, well, so do we. Jesus returns three times, three times from his battle to check on his friends. Jesus is exuding extraordinary love. In the most excruciating agony of his entire existence, probably his entire eternal existence in the most excruciating agony of his eternal existence he's concerned about his friends that's good that's good to know for God so loved the world I came across to him uh, it was written in uh, 1863 
And this is what it says. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. But this is the part I thought about with Jesus in the garden. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence, the, uh, thence the depart. So I, I love that idea that his, his, our names are graven on his hands. Jesus loves us that much. How did Jesus come to the point, last part of your message, uh, the message there on your paper, how did Jesus come to the point of submission? How did he get to the place where he said, yet not what I will, but what you will? Hebrews chapter 5, I shared with you, verse 7, tells us how he got to that place. How did he get to the place of not my will, but thine be done? How did he get to the place? And Hebrews chapter 5 verse 7 shares with us how he got to that place. I'm looking at the wrong chapter. I'm thinking that's not the verse. Okay, here it is. Chapter 5, verse 7. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions, like I said, with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission Is that the verse I wanted? I think it's the verse I wanted. But there's also a verse that basically is saying that Jesus was able to offer up those prayers. Oh, yes, it is here. All of you that are saying yes, yes, thank you, thank you for that. During, I'll read it again with the emphasis on where I want it to be. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one, here it is, who could save him from death since he was heard because of his reverent submission. So the reason Jesus is able to say, yet not my will but thine be done, the reason he was able to say that is because he knew that God had the power to resurrect him, to save him from death. He willingly went because of the promise of the resurrection. That's why the title of our message was The Promise. Jesus went willingly to the cross because of the promise of the resurrection. And then the last couple of verses there. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough! The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Jesus tells his disciples the hour has come, and at this moment he is ready to be our Savior. Now, a few things for you, application-wise. And I've kind of put these in a he. Since he did it, we also ought to do it as well. And they're in your bulletin there. The first one is this. Jesus submitted to the will of the Father. 
How many of us, when we make decisions, are actually going to the Lord and asking, you know, Lord, what do you want me to do here? And really weighing that out, really spending some time listening to that still small voice of the Lord giving you direction. Jesus submitted to the will of the Father. I hope that each of us have come to the place where in important times, and maybe even not so important, you would be able to say, not yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus, point number two, or, or application number two, Jesus prayed in the garden. Jesus prayed in the garden. I mean, if Jesus prayed in the garden, especially against the idea of temptation, how much more important is it that you and I keep an attitude of prayer, that idea of praying without ceasing, keep that communication open with God? If Jesus found it important to pray in the garden, you and I ought to too. Third point, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. He was spending time in the garden praying for himself, but then also went three times to check on the disciples. Jesus checks on us all the time. And if Jesus loves us, maybe that ought to stir in you the desire to love your neighbor as he commands. And then Jesus trusted in his Father's promise of resurrection. Jesus trusted in his Father's promise of resurrection. And so should we. It's our hope. I'll leave you with this verse, 1 Peter 1.3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Lord, that's our great hope. Jesus first passed from death to life, and because of that promise of His resurrection, we also have a resurrection. Lord, I pray that we would put our hope in that. It's an anchor that holds secure in the promises of God's Word. Lord, I pray that it would also be a challenge, a challenge for us to share the good news with those that don't know You as personal Lord and Savior. So that they can have that hope as well. That they can have that sure foundation. That sure anchor. Lord, for those that maybe don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that would be a desire of yours. You pray that all people would come to know you as Lord and Savior. That would be our prayer too. And so if there's someone here that doesn't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, today is the day of salvation. That they would say, yes, Lord, yes, to your will and to your way. Lord, we thank you for the time in your word. Make it alive and real to us. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Minnetrista Baptist Church is a community of Christ followers who value preaching and teaching scripture, biblical obedience, community, prayer, and evangelism. If you'd like to learn more about Minnetrista Baptist Church, please visit our website at minnetristachurch.org. And come by for a Sunday morning service. We'd love to meet you.